You're listening to the Sustainable Angler Podcast, brought to you by Emerger Strategies. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I interview Patagonia founder Yvonne Chouinard, and we discuss disappearing into the South Pacific, changing Patagonia's mission statement, and what Patagonia is doing to fight climate change. But first, let's talk a little fishing. Uh, what was maybe your first memorable uh, fish you caught with a fly rod, and, and, and what kind of fish was it? I mean, I've been fishing. I've been fishing for over seventy years. <laughs> so, but you know, my first, my first uh, ooh, seventeen years was with a, with basically spinners and worms and stuff. And then I learned. I was in Jackson Hole and um, I was walking by the guide shack there in Jenny Lake. And there was Glenn Exum and his son. He was teaching his son how to fly cast. And, and uh, I was watching, and I didn't know Glenn or anything, but he just he saw me watching. He said, hey, come on over here, son. And he showed me how to fly cast. He gave me a few lessons. And, and I went out, and I got a spin-fish combo. You know, one of those rods where you can either spin or, or fly cast. And... So I started taking that into the wind rivers. I was going into the wind rivers a lot, and the fishing there was, you know, fantastic. So um, that's, that's pretty much where I first started fly fishing. Um, okay, great. Well, I guess what would you say in terms of, you know, fishing freshwater species? Um, what are what are some of your, your favorite uh, freshwater uh, species to, to catch on fly? Well, I'd say, you know, probably steelhead and, and Atlantic salmon. Yeah. Uh, um, although I like, I like to catch uh, Pacific salmon too, any kind of salmon. Um, yeah, I mean, they're bigger and, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, go out of my way to to fish for salmon that much. I mean, I, I like to whack them and eat them. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, when I do get a chance, I, I, it's pretty exciting to catch a Chinook on a fly, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, so on 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 similar lines, what about some of your uh, your favorite saltwater species? Well, bonefish are my favorite. They, uh, I I've fished quite a bit with Lefty Cray, and he says his two favorite fish are smallmouth bass and bonefish. <laughs> it's kind of like me. I'm a I'm a small game hunter, you know. <laughs> and I I mean I've caught. I've caught a bunch of tarpon and I've caught permit and and uh, some big trevallis and and you know I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm not. I don't go out of my way to catch them. I'm I'm really I really love bonefish. All right, and so keep keeping on the the, the topic of fishing before we we get into a little bit more about some environmental stuff. Um, what what is a uh, 
what would you say is a perfect day of, of fishing for you? What, is, what does that look like? Well, probably, um, you know, out on a beautiful flat somewhere without a guide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just on my own, figuring it out, you know. Yeah. For me, the problem with guides is they take a lot of the fun away. And a lot of the fun is figuring it out yourself, figuring out the tides and, uh, and, you know, when to be on a certain flat at a certain time and that kind of stuff. That's, I mean, I, I thought about, years ago, I thought about disappearing into the South Pacific somewhere and you know, on a sailboat and just looking for the perfect bonefish flat somewhere out in Tahiti or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I I can relate. I I I I was not on a sailboat, but I did make it to the South Pacific and uh, caught some amazing bonefish in, in Rangaroa. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm fisher. <laughs> yeah, and and that is. Uh, I did have a guide, so I guess I I, I lose cool points there. But, um, <laughs> but well, I, I was uh, I was I was I done a bunch of surfing in the two motus and and uh, and then they, there's all the islands have bonefish, but unfortunately, where you surf is is uh, the northern uh, and western part of the islands and. That's not where the big flats are. So there's small flats and there's really big bonefish, but nine out of ten chances of after you hook a fish, you, they break you off. Right, Too right. much coral, you know. It's like that in Hawaii. I, the last time I was in Hawaii, I, I hooked, I hooked uh, ten bonefish and landed none. <laughs> I lost, I lost lines. I lost. Oh my God! Well, that—that's what I hear. I think, or those like in Hawaii, from from what I've read anyway, are, are like pancake flats, right? So they're those bonefish will take off and get deep and just break you off on on curl. Well, it depends on where you are. On Oahu, this you know, there's more sandy flats, and there's a, there's a pretty good chance you'll land one. But some of the other islands, there's uh, there's some real coral around. And they're big, you know. They're all they're all like six to eight pound fish, and you know how strong those are. Oh yeah, that's uh, that that that's a uh, that's a guaranteed good time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, I will say on on the note of um, talking about uh, the South Pacific and uh, bone fishing, I I, I want to say. I read somewhere, and I can't, I, I can't reference where I read it. Maybe it was in one of your catalogs or something along those lines. But saying that you know a, a, a dream day is you know catching waves and surfing, and then heading into the flat and catching a bonefish in the in the same day. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, that's just about the best. <laughs> I used to do that on Christmas Island a lot. Um, I've been there about six times or something, and, and I usually take my surfboard, and and when the tide's coming in, I'll surf, and then um, and then I'll go um, yeah, go fish for bonefish the rest of the day. Well, I have I've taken a little bit of of that, and I'm currently on a mission to 
catch wave. I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, it's to catch a wave on Folly on a flood tide and then run to the backside of Folly and catch a redfish on the flat. So I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it one of these days. All right. <laughs> um, well, great. Well, well, I'll, I'll shift gears a little bit here and, um, you know, talk about, you know, I've, I've read – um, I read Let My People Go Surfing during my last semester of college, and, um, you know, it, it it really got me thinking about, you know, how to use business as a tool to solve environmental problems. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes is uh, of yours is, you know, who are businesses really responsible to, you know, their shareholders, their customers, their employees, none of the above. Uh, fundamentally, businesses are responsible to the resource base. And so, um, you know, that really resonated with me. And, you know, especially um, working with some, some companies in fly fishing, you know, at the, at the end of the day, um, you know, no fish equals no customers. And um, that that quote really, really inspired me. And I'm curious to know um, – you know, maybe who are some of the people who have, who have inspired you throughout your life, and 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 why why is that? Well, I mean, most of what I know about the world and stuff, other than traveling on my own all over, but you know, I'm an avid reader, and so I've read a lot of books that have inspired me. Um, you know, a lot of, I mean, that's that's where I kind of get my knowledge just from reading. I read all the time. So there's been a lot of books. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> too, many, too, too many to list, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I know that I've... Other than... Um, you know, I, I can't say I've had any mentors, personal mentors. I mean, I've known people like David Brower and... and uh, you know, people like that, but just kind of briefly known him, not really close friends or anything. But I've certainly read a lot of his stuff and been influenced in that way. Yeah, yeah, and and that's certainly some of the you know, for for me personally, re- reading your books, but also you know things like John Muir and and and, yeah. and all that type of stuff. I mean that 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 is really the. You know, I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that you're tired and you can't put the book down kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, the, you know, the American transcendentalists, you know, like uh, Emerson and and uh, Thoreau and those guys, they all had a big influence on me. And they were certainly different than the Europeans. That, you know, the Europeans pretty much still in manifest destiny, you know. Mm-hmm. Conquering the world and making it democratic, and and uh, you know, the American philosophers were much closer to nature. I, I think uh, even even when uh, the early days of this country, the Euro- European was already completely built up, pretty much. They didn't have much nature like we did. Yeah, I've, I've actually thought about that some. Of you know, I mean, I wonder what it was like to come over and having just an unlimited what was seemingly 
an unlimited supply of, of natural resources coming over from Europe. I mean, that, that's um, pretty crazy to think about. And now here we are in 2018 and human populations growing and uh, the resources uh, getting more and more depleted. So, yeah. all right, well, what would you, um, you know, I, I don't want to lead you too much, but, uh, you know, what, what would you could consider to be some of the greatest threats uh, for the planet and our, and 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 also that our fisheries face today. Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, it's global warming. So, um, you know, I mean, you, you can talk for hours about all the problems with with uh, us destroying nature and stuff like that. But over over the whole thing is this huge cloud of. You know, the bottom line is just this global warming. It's just everything. It's destroying the, the ocean. It's destroying the mountains. It's destroying um, agriculture. It's it's just you know, it's causing mass migrations when when uh, certain parts of the earth become unha- uninhabitable, and and it's uh, it's everything. It's it's the number one problem. And it's this number one problem with cold water fisheries as well. I mean, I, yeah, I just uh, I just finished writing a pretty long essay on threats to cold water fish. I've been working on a book that's uh, that's selected writings over the years, and one and one of the last things I wrote, which I haven't published, is. Uh, an essay on on all the threats to cold water fish, not just global warming, but all the invasive species and diseases and, and everything. But it's but the bottom line is is the global warming thing because when you have when the water is too warm, you can't have cold water fish. It's real simple, and it's you know there's been a couple studies by different universities, and they say by um, probably 2050, we're going to lose about 40 to 50 percent of our cold water fish. That's just 30 years from now. Yeah, and that's that. I mean, you know, that that's terrifying. Oh um, yeah, it is. It's someone who, um, you know, that's my generation. That, that's I have my 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 first child on the way, and that's the world that they may be growing up in, and uh, that's really disturbing um but that's why we're we're doing what we're doing you know i mean that's why patagonia i think is uh provides a lot of inspiration for people and that's while we're having this conversation so hopefully we can change some minds in the process to actually do something about it well Um, yeah i mean we're I'm, i'm seriously thinking of changing our mission statement to basically say we're in business to save the planet. That's uh, that's in my mind. I mean, that's what y'all have y'all have done so well is providing that inspiration and um, leading by example. And I think that you can use your, you know, I mean, I'm probably telling you things you already know, but you you can use your reach and your influence to to uh, cause massive waves of change and, and impact. So I. I I support that. Well, that's that's you know I've been thinking about it a lot, and if I do change it, and and I'm going to go around and 
talk to people in the company and say, okay, if we change the mission statement to say we're in business to save the planet, how does that affect your job? And in some cases, it really affects your job. So, you know, instead of a surfing ambassador who, you know, who's a shit-hot surfer, that's about it, you've, you get a really good surfer who is really dedicated to also saving the planet. And that's, that's what we've done. The last couple ambassadors that we've hired are both hired as full-time employees to go around and work on uh, environmental stuff. So it's, you know, it's, when you think about it that way, it really ch- changes uh, the way you look at your job, no matter what, no matter what your job is. Well, what's, what's interesting is, you know, how does that imp- impact people's jobs? Certainly from the outset of, you know, if you hire an ambassador, you know, their, their job is then to, you know, use their influence to, to create change. But are there, are there ways that you see where it might negatively impact someone's job at, at Patagonia? Well, it makes it harder. Yeah. You know, like, for instance, uh, you know, we made a commitment by 2025, we're not going to use any fabrics made out of petroleum. So that means, you know, it's so easy to just call a fabric supplier, have them come by with a bunch of fabrics, and you say, yeah, give me 5,000 yards of this. But we have to develop our own fabric. And so, um, you know, we're not going to be able to use polyester or nylon or or rayon or any of that stuff. We're going to have to use fibers that are made from nature. And, yep. you know, right, and, and so we're working on making uh, nylons and polyesters out of plants instead of petroleum. So I got more chemists working here than I do <laughs> gardeners. <laughs> I did not see that coming. <laughs> Yeah, that's you know on on that note, I mean that that's kind of gotten has gotten me thinking a little bit too about everything from uh, you know what we use to to fish with, you know, and, and it, it seems if someone was you know I I don't know how to make a bamboo fly rod, I'd love to learn, but it seems like that could be the the future of fly fishing. It's not as uh, environmentally damaging. It's a natural fiber, and if you use eco resins on it, it seems like that could be a, a hell of a marketable product. And using a something made from nature. Well, yeah. I mean, I I've got a I've got a couple trout rods, cane trout rods, and I've got a couple spay rods out of cane, and uh, I love them. And I'm not doing it because it's more environmentally friendly. I do it because it's just just feels good. I like right. like the old school feel of them. And and uh, one, one uh, I mean one is we had a fire here this winter and I was on the roof with my hose and so we had to abandon abandon the ship and I took my passport and my one uh, <laughs> Leon Hansen <laughs> eight foot. Three weight. <laughs> it's the most valuable thing I own. That was my passport. I didn't take any anything else. <laughs> well, well, I, I can relate we, we, because of uh, Hurricane Irma here in the southeast. I actually took a photo of the back of my car, and I left everything in the house but my wading boots and my fly rods and reels. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> priorities, priorities. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, it's, that's kind of the small stuff. You know, that's kind of like, um, you know, switching from carbon fiber to cane. It's just like not leaving the water on when you brush your teeth, you know. It's not, it's not going to save the planet. You gotta, we got to think bigger than that. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, fly anglers, people who wear Patagonia for the most part might be a little bit more in tune to, you know, what are what stuff that the average Joe can do to, to make an impact. Do you have any insight on, hey, you know, I don't I don't fly fish, I don't surf, I don't I'm not an out guy, outdoor guy or girl and uh but I'm concerned and what 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 do I do? You know, I'm cutting off the faucet when I'm shaving or or my toothbrush. What 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 can the average person do? Well, everybody's got to ask. Nobody can tell anybody that that answer. You got to yeah. ask ask that about yourself. Is what can you do? I mean, I personally uh, am too embarrassed and shy, and, and I get too pissed off standing on the front lines in front of a bulldozer or something. You know, so I just I pay people to do that for me, and uh, yeah. you know. But if if you're a good writer, you need to be doing some writing and influencing people with your writings. And, and if you're a good public speaker, you need to speak out. Or you know, if you got a bunch of money like I do, I, you got to dig deep in your pocket and give it away to somebody who's doing the good work. I mean, everybody's got to ask themselves uh, what they can do. Uh, yeah. You know, some people have. Lots of free time, and they can volunteer to do some good work. Or I don't know. That's hard hard to tell anybody what they should be doing. Sure, sure. Well, well, I know you know Patagonia as a company has done a tremendous amount to to mitigate its impacts on climate change, from everything from um, you know starting with what you can can control with solar panels at your headquarters and introducing new programs like warm wear and, and even new product lines like Patagonia Provisions. Um, what would you say today that Patagonia is doing today that, that's going to have the greatest and, and lasting impact on uh, mitigating the, the effects of climate change? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, all the efforts that we're doing to uh, minimize the damage to use of natural resources in our products and stuff like, you know, using organically grown cotton instead of regular cotton and stuff like that. All that stuff doesn't do the world any good. All it does is cause it less harm. That's all. Mm-hmm. And we came to that conclusion a couple of years ago. And, and then I started reading up about some of the discoveries that they're making through agriculture through what's called regenerative agriculture in capturing carbon. And I realized that that's probably our only hope. You know, we're not going to give up driving our cars. We're not going to put these oil companies out of business. We're not going to do all the hard things uh, that we need to do to combat global warming. But the, the one thing that could happen is to switch over from factory industrial farming to regenerative agriculture, and you know, regenerative agriculture is basically a form of agriculture that 
grows topsoil and captures carbon and produces food. So right now, you know, industrial agriculture only grows food. It doesn't capture carbon because every time you plow, you release the carbon. It doesn't grow topsoil. In fact, it destroys topsoil. You know, all life on Earth is dependent on six instances of topsoil. And we're losing it like crazy. By 2050, we'll have 30% less than what we have now. And so I'm really, we're mobilizing not only Patagonia Provisions, but the whole company to really push this regenerative style of agriculture. And so that we can grow cotton for our clothing, but at the same time with capture carbon and grow topsoil. And mm-hmm. so that that does the world some good, not just cause less harm. So I think yeah. that's going to be our big our big effort. So on, on that note, you mentioned you know ca- causing no unnecessary harm, um, which I know is, is is part of your your current mission statement. Yeah, so that's what, why I want to go beyond that. I want to <laughs> do good. Uh, what what's maybe the the, the hardest lesson? Um, Patagonia, you, you sort of alluded to it earlier in the last question, but What's maybe the hardest lesson Patagonia had to learn regarding causing no unnecessary harm? Well, I think I think uh, one of the problems with society and with people in general is that they don't think deep enough. And, you know, the, the Socratic method of where you go to solve a problem by just asking one question after another until you finally get to the cause of the problem. I think society is stuck on working on endless symptoms, and uh, and so for us, once we decided that growing cotton industrially was pretty bad, we had to ask more questions. We had to ask, well, how about the dyes that we use? Are they are they bad? Well, we didn't know. Are you know are all dyes bad? Are all colors bad? Or are polyester dyes better than cotton dyes? I mean, we didn't know any of this stuff. And so we just kept asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And uh, and you can't stop. You, you gotta, and every time you find that you're doing something wrong, stop doing it. You know, if I was a public company, there's no way I could be doing what we're doing here. No way. Because uh, they would say, look, don't tell me about that. <laughs> right. toxic dye that using, you know, just keep using it. Don't tell me about it. Um, yeah, so, you know, it's that's the secret of leading an examined life is just keep questioning. Um, and what would you say, you know, I, I know you're not crazy about the term sustainability um, from what I've read anyway, but uh, what's been the greatest business benefit for Patagonia for running a responsible business? Well, I can tell you, uh, it's really good business. Our customers are really demanding that we do what we're doing. It's, uh, I mean, you know, about the Trump administration called for a boycott for our company because we're we're giving them so much shit about public lands and stuff. So they they actually called for a boycott on our company. They said we're using child labor, we're we're making money off all this public lands, and we're not giving anything back. Blah blah blah. The day they called for a boycott, our sales went up six hundred percent. 
<laughs> Sounds like pretty good business to me. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's just good business, and I think a lot of companies don't realize that the customer has changed. These young people are different than these old white guys that are, you know, the ones that vote these days. Yeah. These young people, they're they're really different, and they are demanding to know where the, where their stuff comes from and how it's made, and they want to. They're they're concerned about authenticity. They don't want to be bullshitted, and and so they're they're our loyal customers. I mean, we're we're just growing uh, way faster than we ever wanted to. And, and uh, it's because of this tremendous demand for what we make. We're stealing business from everybody else is what we're doing. Well, that's, that's a good problem to have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, one one thing that I'll, um, I guess I want to be cognizant of, of your time, um, but I guess in in, in closing, um, what's maybe something that you wish more anglers knew about climate change? If you could leave a, a, a message for them. Well, I wish they would just start asking questions. You know, instead of sticking their head in the sand and and just saying, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know." One of the real disappointments for me is how little the outdoor industry has done for conservation. You know, other than a few groups like, you know, duck hunters, uh, you know, with Ducks Unlimited and stuff like that, but they, they do, uh, the companies themselves do very, very little. And the individuals whether they're mountain climbers or, or fishermen, uh, it's it's unbelievable how little people do for conservation, and it's really a disappointment to me. I mean, you know, we started this organization, 1% for the Planet. We have basically two fishing companies that are members out of 1,500 members. We have no hunting companies. That's pretty sad. A, a, a couple of things that I'll say, um, if if I may, is I, I'm I, my company is Emerger Strategies, and, and we're a one percent for the planet member. We are. Um, yeah, we sure are. And I brought one of our clients uh, to become a one percent for the planet member, Flood Tide Company. So I'm I'm working on that for you. <laughs> oh, good man. Good man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to make that happen, um, but uh, one, just one thing you said that uh, I was going to close with that, but I, but I'm, I'm I'm engaged, so you have to pardon me here. But when you said, you know, they're not doing enough for conservation, um, is, is that in regards to donation? Is it also in regards to their own operations and products, or a combination of both? I think it's it's everything. They're not doing enough to clean up their supply chain. They're not giving enough money away to conservation. I mean, you'd think that a company whose livelihood depends on having, you know, clean, wild rivers or, uh, 
that would really step up and see that they have more responsibility than the average person? They don't. They really don't. It's just unbelievable. The most philanthropic people in America are the poorest. Mm. The poorest 10% are the most philanthropic. They give on an average a 6% of their income. The richest give less than 1%. And in the outdoor industry, I don't know what percentage it is, but it's tiny. Really right. tiny. At least the hunters, the hunters pay a luxury tax on their guns when they buy a gun. Yeah. At, least, at least they get taxed for that. That's about it. All right, and then one, one – I thought that was my last question, but but now I have one more. Sure, um, go ahead. So if, if you could leave a, um, a message for for the folks that either read or, or, uh, or, or listen to this, um, you know, why is acting on climate important to you? Um, and I'll just let you go from there. Well, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a spiritual person, and my spirituality is based around nature. You know, it's kind of like Native Americans and stuff. I I really love uh, I love nature, and 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 I feel like I'm part of it. And so, you know, you destroy destroy nature, you destroy yourself, and you destroy your grandkids and your kids and it's, we're all going to go down together. And, you know, as we destroy the mammals, we start with the large mammals, the rhinos and the and the polar bears, and you know what? We're a large mammal. Right. <laughs> you see it right now. It's happening right now. I mean, it's just this chaos all around the world. There's mass migrations of people, not only migrating because of political problems, but environmental problems and, you know, this desertification and it's happening already. It's just, we're, we're in the middle of, it's not like it's going to happen in 2100. It's happening right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of weird to be living in this day and age. It's kind of like, you know, the fall of the Roman Empire. Imagine what those people felt like just before the crash or or when the Soviet Union broke apart, or the British Empire, I think it's we're seeing the empire collapse right now. Yeah, well, I've, I've had I've thought about that myself, um, actually, in terms of you know, do you, do you realize that the the rug's getting pulled from underneath you as it's happening? Um, and I guess well, we're, yeah, I mean, so i I got my eyes wide open, and I've got. I got my garden going. On. <laughs> me, 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 and you both. Um, well, hey, well, 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 Yvonne, I, I really, um, I can't thank you enough for sure. For, Thanks for, for doing taking, this. For for taking time to to chat with me, and uh, I really do appreciate it, and um, certainly appreciate everything y'all are doing as, as a company. Y'all are uh, a real inspiration, and. Um, Again, just just thank you very much. Yeah, well, you get back out to Wilson or Moose. Let me we'll go fishing. Hey, sign me up. I'm I'm in. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye. That's a wrap for the first, the 
Sustainable Angler Podcast. Um, appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you'd like to stay current with the Sustainable Angler, follow Emerger Strategies on social media and head over to EmergerStrategies.com to sign up for our monthly newsletter. Have a good
I, I interview 